everybody, this is Mark Lines. Welcome to the Mark Lines Show, and I'm just going to get right into it today. We have a, a guest with us, Gina Ciarcia, who has been on the podcast once before, and she was gracious enough to come back uh, after being involved in uh, all of the campaigning that she's doing. She's very, very busy these days, but we wanted to get a campaign update and talk to her about you know how things are going and some of the big issues and get some feedback on what you, the voters, are talking about. Now, I will say that today I did something I have never done in my life, and that is early vote, with the exception of absentee ballots when I was in the military. I was stationed overseas in Iceland for a few years, and so I, I had to do absentee ballots. But other than that, I was always led to believe that there was an election day that you got up and you went and you voted, but apparently that's too hard to do these days. So we don't just have election week, we have election month. In fact, I think we have election season. You know, it's like fall, so why don't we just vote all fall? That being uh, what it is, I so the question may be, well, then why did I go out and vote Early then. Well, I had a doctor's appointment today and I went to it and it turned out that the polling place was right down the street from where I, I went to the doctor's office and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this just in case something pops up down the road and, and just get it, it done with. But I was talking to Gina before we came on the, the program here that I, in a lot of ways it was good for me to see that because we are sometime out in front of the election and there were a lot of people there. I couldn't believe how many folks were showing up early to vote, and the enthusiasm was pretty high. And I think that this is going to be an interesting election because it's not even a midterm election. It's an off election, which most people don't even pay attention to. And for those of you that aren't aware, Virginia is one of two states, I believe, Virginia and New Jersey, that is having an early election. And to have this sort of enthusiasm is is promising. And so with that, Gina, we're going to talk about that a little bit and uh, want to welcome her to the program. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, give us an update. So I went to early voting, too. Actually, mm -hmm. voting began September 17th, so I was there the first day, and I wonder who I voted for. Um, I've, it was surreal. Wait, to you haven't decided yet? <laughs> who, who oh, I'm totally clear. <laughs> there is no question whatsoever. Uh, so it was surreal to see my name on the ballot, Um but uh, there were several people there, even though it was raining. And you're right. People are motivated to vote. And we are encouraging people to vote early. So that way there's no hiccups. If November 2nd rolls around and something gets in the way of you getting out to the polls, you've already voted. Um, but the campaign is going really well. And like you said, People are motivated, and they're motivated because they're upset. When I make phone calls and I talk to people on the phone or I'm at their door, people are very disturbed and displeased with the direction that the country is headed. National events is really having an impact for our local elections, positively for us as Republicans. But things that have gone on nationwide and our foreign affairs, for instance, the debacle in Afghanistan, uh, the situation at our southern border, um, those things are adding to the local displeasure with the school boards, local elected officials. People are beginning to wake up and see that because they've been asleep at the wheel for so long, oh my gosh, we're no longer driving the train. And it's motivating them 
to not only get out and vote and vote early, but to bring their friends along to vote and to help out many candidates in the effort to get some of these elected officials out and replace them with people who actually love our country, love our commonwealth, hold our American values and principles dear, and um, they, they're looking for a change because they know if we continue on the path, it's leading to a really bad place for Americans. Yeah, and I'll tell you, what is really motivating people to get out is this is the first time in my life that I think I've seen the connection between state and local government and the federal government. Remember, this is a federal republic, okay? Mm-hmm. And it what's happening in our country today has always been true, but I think under the Biden administration, um, it's been highlighted, and that is that policies to a large extent that are rolled out federally are executed at the state and local level. Never before have we seen that demonstrated more than we are right now with the school boards. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many of you were out there or are out there ever even paid attention to the local school board? Mm-hmm. But here, particularly in Loudoun County, which is not far from where we're sitting right now, has become national news. The, the school board is front and center, and that's motivating a lot of people to get out and vote. And remember this, guys. It's not so much that you have to convince your Democrat neighbor to vote Republican. The chances are that's not going to, to happen. What wins election is people that are like-minded showing up. Folks, this is not the time to sit out. This is the time to vote. This is the time to get involved. And if you have friends that believe the way that you do politically, get them to show up. Absolutely. Democrats are very good at that. Oh, they are. They are very good at it. We're not so good at that, are we? Right. We haven't traditionally been very good about that because we do tend to be a group of people who are more independent minded. This is my responsibility and it's not up to me to help you with your responsibility. That's Mm -hmm. your job, right? But, you know, Congressman Whitman, I I saw him a couple of weeks ago and he had a, a great idea. So if you're a Republican voter, what you're going to do is you're going to take a sheet of paper and you're going to list 10 names of other like-minded friends, family members, neighbors. And you're going to call each one of those people and you're going to say, John, when are you going to go vote? Oh, you know, maybe John hasn't come up with a voting plan. He's like, I don't know. Okay, well, you're going to make sure that John votes. If he says he's going to vote on Wednesday, then call him up Wednesday night and say, hey, did you get out and did you get your vote in? If he says no... Okay, well, now when are you going to go vote? Mm-hmm. This weekend? Friday? When when are you going to vote? And make sure that each of the people on your list actually goes and votes. Because one of the things that we struggle with is voter apathy. And, um, for instance, in my district alone, I have a list of veterans, and this is just veterans in my district, who have not voted consistently over the last uh, several election cycles. So they didn't vote either in 2020, 2019, or 2017, or maybe all three. They didn't participate. 1,400 names, 1,400 veterans. That's just veterans. What about other groups of people? So voter apathy is something that we have to, we have to work hard as a campaign to overcome that. A lot of people will assent Yes, I should vote. Voting is important. As Americans, it's our duty to vote. 
but then actually turning that into action where they actually get out of the house, drive to the poll, wait in line and cast their vote. That's another thing. And so that's something that Republicans do need to be better about. Mm-hmm. And in Virginia, I know what's caused a lot of the apathy is Virginia has become blue, really mm-hmm. blue, particularly for FX County, where I'm sitting right now. It, it's uh, I've, I've often joked with people, which is not such a joke anymore. I'm behind enemy lines. Uh, I, I'm, un, I'm deep undercover here. I don't tell my neighbors that I'm a Republican because, well, you know, it's I'm behind enemy lines. But I will tell you that that's beginning to change. And people are so angry right now, and you should be motivated to vote because not only has Yunkin caught up to McAuliffe and and gotten close, I read an article today that says that this is a Mm toss-up. And I'll tell you, in the the last decade plus that I've been back in Fairfax County, that's not been the conversation. It was almost laughable. It was like, why would you even bother to show up as a Republican? You're not going to win. But now they're saying that that it is a toss-up. And remember, McAuliffe has the the backing of the entire Democrat machine. So it is a toss-up. And so when we're talking about 1,200 votes, when we're talking about a few votes, that matters. It matters I, a lot. I can name a number of races in Virginia and in, in even past years where it came down to really close Really, really, really close. It may be a close uh, election, even for governor folks. You got to get out and you got to vote. Do not think for a minute that your vote doesn't count. Now, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but it doesn't matter because there's so much fraud going on. I, you know, the, the Democrats keep saying that that's conspiracy talk, that there was no fraud in the election. And I don't, and I'm not gonna, even going to sit here and say whether there was or there wasn't. But I know a lot of you believe that. But you still have to get out and do it. You know, let the system work out. Let people count the votes if there's challenges and do that. But, uh, you know, my opinion is that you show up and let other people worry about those sorts of details. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. So there are groups like Virginians for America First and other grassroots organizations who now for months have been working diligently throughout the state to ensure election integrity. So what I tell people is, There are folks that are working on that, and that is their responsibility. Your responsibility is to get out and vote. And this is another thing that I tell people, and it is very effective. I tell them, I said, you know, as Republicans, we have voter data. And if you are a person who only votes in presidential elections, we as Republicans, we know that. We know that you only vote every four years. And so do the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And then they you have just, the same data that we do. They have the yeah, yeah. same data. And then you just watch people's gears start turning in their head where they're thinking that over. If you only vote once every four years, then those other three years, your vote is vulnerable. So unless you cast a ballot and preferably cast it early, you risk the situation where your vote can be used to cast for someone that you didn't mm-hmm. choose to vote for because they know you're not coming out. Mm-hmm. And so when people hear that, that then motivates them to maybe go ahead and go and vote in this election, even though normally they would not. Right. And I'll tell you something. We need to start putting the pressure on the Democrats because this this statewide election is going to be the precursor to what do we have next year? Then we have the midterm elections. And then, of course, two years after that, we have the presidential election. Folks, we got to send a message to these people that this train wreck 
right up the road here in Washington is unacceptable. And there's a there's a train coming, mm-hmm. and they're about to get run over by this train. And remember, we folks, we are right next to Washington D.C. And so the message that we would be sending would be uh, would have that much more impact. And and it's going to send a message nationally that things are are not going to end well with the Democrats because we cannot have this continue, cannot have it continue nationally. But even in the state, cover some of the things, if you will, uh, about what you've seen, the feedback. Because now, since the last time I interviewed you, Gina, you've had a a lot more time to get out and talk to the voters. Uh, You've made some calls. You shared with me some stories uh, of conversations that you've had with voters and uh, the sense that I'm getting is that there's a lot of ang- – really, anger is the mm-hmm. only way to describe it. It's mm-hmm. not even motivation. It's it's anger. Now, anger is a motivator. It is. It's it a very a powerful motivator, yes. Could you run through some of that for us? Sure, and I'll tie it back into uh, another challenge that we face in addition to voter apathy is voter ignorance. So, And we've probably all been guilty of this at some point in time. Let's say it's a presidential year. You've, you've decided who you're going to vote for for president. You get into the voting booth. You, you vote for president. And then you maybe vote for another higher office. And then you see all these names on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And you think, who are these people? That has happened to probably everybody. It happens to me. Sure. And I and I follow this stuff pretty closely and I still see names I'm like, who is that? <laughs> right. And these are people who are running for your county supervisor or your school board. And so people maybe they skip that section or maybe they just pick a name that sounds nice or yeah, I saw his sign, I liked his sign. And then folks get in on our school boards that now people are up in arms over many of the things that some of these school boards are promoting. And I hear this at the doors. So people are frustrated. They're upset. And one of the things that comes up quite often is what's going on in our schools. Loudoun County is a neighboring county, um, but there's also issues in with CRT not only in Loudoun County, but here in Fairfax County, mm-hmm. in my county, in Prince William, I know they're trying to stave it off down in Stafford. Uh, CRT has, you know, like a cancer, mis- just spread throughout our state and throughout our country. Yeah. And it is, it is a threat to national unity because it seeks to divide people up into categories and pit them against one another. And there's a lot of folks who are very upset about it. There's also many parents who are upset about some of the curriculum that is being uh, used or is available in our public schools. I just watched a, um, a clip of a Fairfax County school board meeting where a mother uh, of a high schooler in a Fairfax County uh, public school, she had a couple of books that were from the school's library, and she was reading passages in these books during her time to speak in front of the school board. These passages were explicitly pornographic and even encouraged pedophilia. The school board, one of the members of the school board, told her to stop reading because there were children in the room. (laughs) The irony, huh? 
Well, oh. this is on a school library shelf. So parents, one of the blessings about the pandemic is that because it forced everybody to be at home, you had at the kitchen table, mom or dad working online. You also had kids working online and taking classes through Zoom. And parents were, for the first time, somewhat in the classroom with their kids and hearing the things that are being taught and the things that are being promoted. And it has opened up parents' eyes to what is really going on in the public school system and how many of these school board members are pushing radical agendas on the kids. Well, you know, when you have students that are at school eight hours, five days a week, you have a captive audience. They have to be there. And they don't have a choice about where they go to school because the NEA and other teachers unions and the powers that be stop any effort to provide school choice for the citizens of Virginia. Mm-hmm. And you can get away with this kind of thing. And parents are waking up to it and they're angry. And a, a lot of times, you know, folks are okay with, oh, if you, you want to do that, that's that's fairly radical. That's really left wing. But yeah, you do your thing. But now when that touches their kids, parents get upset. And that's a big reason of why they're upset. They see that these agendas, that they don't personally hold these values, they don't agree with this, but it's being shoved and pushed on their kids through the school system, and they're furious. Mm-hmm. Well, and some other things that they're furious about is we we still have, and folks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie the national politics to the local politics because this election is demonstrating that we're really one and the same. Virginia is now accepting all these migrants that are coming over from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And by the way, not just Afghanistan, but all these people down at the border. Look, we got Haitians that just came across the bridge. 15,000 of them sitting underneath a bridge. Uh, I understand we're down to about two or 3,000. Well, whatever happened to the rest of them? Where did they go? They've just kind of disappeared. Well, I guarantee you a lot of them are coming here to Virginia. And uh, here at Marine Corps Base Quantico, which is not far from where we are, uh, a lot of the Afghan immigrants are being um, staged down there in, in Quantico. So it is what's happening on the national level is affecting us. And I'm going to remind everybody, because it's already falling off of the news cycle, we have people, our people in Afghanistan right now that cannot get out. They are still there. Don't ever forget that. And But yet we've brought people here, many of whom fought with us honorably, and I get that. And, and I, I want to support those people. But there's an awful lot of those people. We don't know who the hell they are. Mm-hmm. And they're here as well. Okay? And so for our Virginia voters, those of you that are listening that are going to vote in Virginia, they're here in your backyard. So what are you hearing about that? So Quantico is in my district. Mm-hmm. And there are supposed to be a total of 5,000 Afghan refugees that will eventually be housed in Quantico. Do we know that everyone is vetted? No. I know for a fact they're not. They're not. <laughs> they are not. No, we don't. Yeah. And um, where are these people going to go? They can't stay at Quantico forever. Where are they going to go? They don't speak the language. Their culture is completely different from our own. What is the plan? I don't think anyone has a plan. And I agree with you in that those who have stood by our side over in Afghanistan, 
the interpreters, those who have fought with us and put themselves on the line, yeah, I think we owe that to them. Mm. But that's not all the people who have come over here. Not at all. There are people, we, we don't even really know, other than Afghanistan, where they came from, why they're over here. And it, what people underestimate is how much this influx of refugees from Afghanistan, people crossing the southern border, it strains society. Not just in the resources, not just in, okay, how are we going to provide for these people? Because they're not able to provide for themselves. They can't speak the language. They don't They don't have the ability. I mean, we've, we've put them in a really difficult situation, mm-hmm. you know, to be to be fair to them, it's it's hard for them too. Um, where where are they going to live? How are they going to? How are their children going to go to school when they can't speak the language? Um, but it strains society, and when you bring folks together that are so different, and you try to mix, and uh, there's you know things have changed a lot since. We had many immigrants come over in the early 1900s, late 1800s, most of them from Europe. Traditionally, American immigrants from early on came from Northern and Western Europe. And it was a shock to America when we had more Southern and Europe and Eastern Europeans come to the country. And, you know, we were put into a position back then where we had to define what does it mean to be an American? What does that mean, right? Um, And the schools had a large role in creating that idea amongst the children of these immigrants from Eastern and Southern Europe. They taught them in large part what it meant to be an American. We are in a really different spot. (laughs) We are in a spot where the immigrants who are coming are not Europeans. They are from very different parts of the world. They have extremely different cultures. They have uh, different religions. Um, They're coming over. And not only is the type of person that's coming over changed, but America is in a different place where even Americans don't know what it means to be an American. Mm -hmm. So how are we supposed to inform these refugees and these folks that are coming over the southern border, how are we supposed to help them become Americanized when we can't even define it ourselves? And if we're looking to the schools to define it, we're in trouble. So, you know, a lot of times people talk about America being a melting pot. And I think before it was because those Eastern and Southern Europeans who came over and immigrated to our country assimilated to American culture. My great-grandparents would have been some of those people that came from Southern Italy. Um, They came here and they became Americans and they took on the uh, American thoughts and the American ways. They learned English Mm -hmm. and they spoke English. They fought in American wars. They still retained a lot of their Italian cultural heritage, but they became Americans. We have a really different situation now where we're not a melting pot. We're more like a stew or a salad. And 
that's going to create some difficulties. Yeah, and and by the way, you you really touched on a point that I haven't thought about in a while, but now that I do think about it, it's a very very good point. One of the different here's re, here's the reason why you have to have an orderly immigration policy. You have to because we are talking about people that were basically thrown onto C-17s and C-141s and brought here and dumped into uh, military bases all over the country or just dumped into the country. I mean, these people down at the border, they're being bussed all over the country, right? Mm -hmm. um, but why why is it important to have borders in security and in an orderly process? Uh, not only do we need to vet who these people are, you have to understand there's pedophiles coming here. Mm -hmm. There are people that are on terrorist watch lists. If they got it on an airplane and flew, if they got it on an airliner, they would have been red flagged and arrested as soon as they came off the airplane. Well, they likely wouldn't have been put on the airplane in the first place. We have people with diseases. We're hearing about diseases down on the border now that the United States eradicated years ago, but now they're popping back up. You know, tuberculosis, mm -hmm. measles, you know, mm -hmm. things things along those lines. That's why we have those protections. But one another important point was when you came here, it was, do you want to become an American? Are you willing to do that? Are you going to take classes? Are you going to learn our history? Are you going to learn the Constitution? Um, do you have money? Do you have a job? Do you have some way to have uh, financially support yourself so you don't, you don't become um, a ward of the state? We, we did those things. Uh, now, and I'm saying that as someone, my wife is, is uh, she was born here, but her parents are from the Philippines. The way that her family came here, her father served in the United States Navy for over 20 years after the Second World War when Filipinos were allowed to join the Navy. But they went through that process. They went through, they had to learn all these different uh, aspects of American society before they became an American citizen. And he earned the right to, my father-in-law earned the right to come here and bring his family here. And they had, you know, the government made sure that they, they had a way to support themselves. And and then when they did that, my in-laws made sure that their kids, my wife being one of them, they, they grew up in American culture. And in fact, they I'm not saying that all families have to do this. this, is what they chose to do. They never taught Tagalog, the language in the Philippines. They never taught Tagalog to my, my daughter, my, mm -hmm. my uh, wife. Because mm -hmm. they said, look, you're in America. And you need to, speaking Tagalog isn't going to help you. You need to speak English and you need to be fluent in English because that's how you're going to be successful in this country. Is that what we have coming over here now? I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to blame the Afghans. I'm not going to blame the Mexicans. I'm not going to blame all the Haitians and, and the other probably 70 some odd or however many, there's a lot of people coming across this border. Uh, is that what's going to happen to them? Or are they going to be wards of the state? Are they going to... And it's not fair to them. You raised that point. It's not fair to allow people just to come here and have no means of support, zero means of support while mm -hmm. they're here. And to be illegitimate at that. Right. An illegitimate entrance into a country. We're not so helping you, them. No. Imagine if I dumped you in the middle of Afghanistan and said, hey, put your kids in school and go find a job and have mm -hmm. fun. Right. What would happen to you? I don't want to think about what would happen. It would not be good. But, you know. You wouldn't be able to function. No. And and the folks that are coming, especially those that are coming illegally over the border, they're not going to be able to fully participate as an American citizen and in American life because they're here illegitimately. And that's not fair. I, I am for immigration because mm -hmm. my family were immigrants. But like you said, an orderly immigration, mm -hmm. an immigration that is good for the immigrant, but also good for the American citizens as well. The way people are coming to our country right now, 
The Biden administration is not taking the best interests of American citizens in mind with what they are allowing to happen. Period. They're not. And they're putting us at risk. Yes. And and for the 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 penultimate responsibility of the federal government is the safety of the American people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's absurd that if I fl- if I left the country right now and came back in and I went I flew into Dulles, I'm going through the border patrol and they're going to look at me and they're going to verify I am who I am and go through all sorts of processes. But I could go down to the border and just walk across the border and come in here. Sure. And and it's, and it, it's insane that we have these sta- – nobody in their right mind would say, hey, let's do away with the Border Patrol at Dullis Airport. Nobody would you – know, well, that's a stupid idea. Right. But why is it not a stupid idea on the border? Right. And the folks who are coming across that southern border are not just people from Central and South America or Haiti. Anybody can be coming across that southern border. Anybody. Mm-hmm. We don't know. But – and then here they are. They come in. Right. But for the Virginians, tying it back to the, the election coming up, uh, Virginia, you're going to have to be dealing with this. Mm-hmm. You really are. And again, you don't know what's coming across the border. And the we, we can have people with very serious mental mental health issues. We can have people that are wanted. We can have people that they weren't safe where they came from. And we just sent them here. And now they're, now they're not safe. Look, if I was a terrorist, if yeah. I was a terrorist and I wanted to attack America from the inside, I'd enter through the southern border. Mm-hmm. It's it's insane. You have to wonder, is this just incompetence or is it on purpose? I mean, that's a question for everybody out there to, to ask themselves. But sometimes I look at some of the decisions that we have made up and down the line in the in the political ecosystem I'm starting to ask, what team are you on? Mm -hmm. You're not on Team America. That's for sure. Well, and you know, that question is in the minds of many Virginians because I've knocked on several doors where people have expressed their displeasure with what's going on. And then they add, it looks like it's being done on purpose. Many people have said that to me, Mm -hmm. not just one or two that I would walk away and say, "Mm, that guy's crazy. No, sound Americans. Who, Serious people. These aren't yes. conspiracy theories. I'm getting right. a little tired of the conspiracy. I think we're kind of past the conspiracy mm-hmm. theory at this point. Right. Okay, and even if we don't want to say that it that is being done on purpose. Okay, I, let me just stipulate that for a second. Let's just say that, that it's not being done on purpose. If it is truly incompetent, that's not any better. No. And whatever the case is, we need to get these people out of office. Because mm-hmm. you know, Northam... Support. Got to remember, Northam supports this stuff. McAuliffe. Sure. McAuliffe is Biden's guy. Absolutely. They campaigned together before the debacle in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. They were here in Virginia campaigning, Biden and McAuliffe, and the the whole top ticket on the Democrat Party for Virginia. So, what are some of the examples of things that you're you're hearing? Uh, anything specific? Anything that I know you talk to a lot of people, but are there maybe just a handful of conversations where it, it something was said and it just hit you? You're like. Wow, that's a good point. And something maybe you hadn't thought of before. Well, a lot of it is a repeat of, I'm really unhappy with what's going on. Um, This seems to be being done on purpose. There are um, folks who are really driven to 
they seem to fall in two camps. Either it drives them to do something about it, to get out and vote, make sure their friends get out and vote, you know, be a little bit more politically active than they have been in the past. Or there's the camp that just kind of falls into despair and believes that there's nothing that can be done. And um, many Americans feel that they are helpless to create change. They feel like they don't have a voice and that they're just going to have to roll with the powers that be and try and make their best with it, which I think is um, terribly unfortunate. That is not the way our founding fathers designed representative government to work. So as a delegate, my job is to represent the people of my district. But what you find out really quick when you get involved in politics at the level of a a candidate, um, money talks, donors talk, constituents, that's an afterthought for a lot of politicians. Um, It is really when you look at Um, whether it's on the state level or the federal level, you would think that the more in favor constituents are for a bill, the more likely it would be to be voted for by their representative. But you don't see that correlation. What you see is a correlation between the voting pattern and the money from the donors. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that is... um, not, like I said, the way it was designed to be, but that is what it has become. Now, is that, you know, something that's only happened ever in America? No. I think if you look back through world history, you see that that's always the case, that, you know, money and power work hand in hand with one another. But our founding fathers really tried very hard to create something that would be different. And we have fallen into the same pattern and it has created a sense of hopelessness in many Americans. And they see their country going down the drain and they feel powerless to change it. You're right. And I, I really like the point that you that you say, and you're a teacher. Mm-hmm. I know that. And so you, you teach history and other things. And it's so true, folks. What we're living through right now Seems like it's the first time in world history it's ever happened. It actually is not. I I don't know that it's gotten this bad in the United States. Mm -hmm. Certainly not in my lifetime. And actually, I'm looking back at at American history, and I can't think of where it's happened before. But you can actually go back into the Old Testament and the Bible, and you can see that money and power and influence and all the things that you see going on right now. um, You can go back to chapter one of the Bible and, and read similar stories of where that was the case. So there's there's nothing new under the sun in that regard, but what we we but there's shifting dynamics and shifting powers and there is a lot of money in politics and that and and the money influences decisions and the democrats have sort of the corner on that mm-hmm. now folks i'm and i'm going to say this and Gino, get your comments on this as well folks i have long been those of you that know me know i have been saying for a very 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 long time the problem with that republicans have is our strength and that is that we are independent-minded people. We're we're moral people. We 
uh, are principled people. Most Republicans I know are Republicans because they have set values. They tend to be more religious, tend to be uh, people that are in the service positions. I mean, it's not by accident that most of the people I've ever, not all, but most of the people I work with in the military or in in my law enforcement career tended to be right of center. I, I don't think that's by accident because those are professions that people like us are attracted to because we're very principled. We want to serve. We want to help others with pride and country, on and on and on and on. Now, because of that, we are independent-minded and we're liberty-minded. And we really do have the attitude that I, I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to do the right thing. And I'm really not about telling you what to do. That's a fundamental difference with the mm -hmm. left is they are all about centralized control and they are about telling you how to live your life. And if they don't like how you live your life, then they just cancel everything you do in your life. We're not into that. No. Okay. We're the, the live and let live crowd. The problem with that is that we don't really bind together a whole lot. We, we, we just don't. We don't organize. And we don't, uh, if you think about it, if there's a big issue going on on the national level, how often do you hear Republicans drop off and start bad-mouthing other Republicans. We'll, we'll get into that circle firing squad, and we will shoot one another in the Republican Party. You you really never see that in the Democrat Party. If you think no. about it, rare, rare, if ever. Actually, I can't think of anything, any issue on the, the top of my head now where— Even if you're Cuomo. Right. <laughs> They've not attacked him. No. Right? But we will. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I will tell you, I'll be the first one. If we, if we had a, a Cuomo in our party, and he did what he did— I would be the first one to attack him. That's that's what we do. It's the beauty of the Republican Party. But it's also the problem with the Republican Party. Folks, we have to bind together and we have to be a united front out there. There is no reason why on this ticket in Virginia this year, you should not be, you know, voting straight down the ticket or. Absolutely. I, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you, there is not. You get in there and you vote are all the way down the ticket mm -hmm. folks united front do you agree with that or am i am i being an extremist no you're absolutely right that is that is true the dems um their part of their strength lies in being lockstep with one another no deviation you do not no. deviate off message you do not attack one another it, if you do it's behind closed doors it's not public um, and so there is a very much a united front that has to be um, encountered and, and countered, you know, by the Republicans who are not that unified, who tend to be more, um, well, you have your opinion, I have my opinion, you have your message, I have mm -hmm. my message, <laughs> you know, um, and we do call people out whenever they are, you know, immoral behavior is involved or unprincipled behavior. But if you look at Cuomo, they just, you know, kind of scooted him off to the side, you know, mm -hmm. nothing to look at here, folks. But it was the same thing with Ralph Northam with the blackface. Uh -huh. Same thing with Justin Fairfax and the sexual harassment yeah. charges that were, you know, put against him. They they will not publicly attack their own, even though they tout movements like Me Too. But then when somebody in their own ranks is blatantly guilty of sexual harassment and um, they won't do it. And that's because they are focused. And to them, that would be a distraction from the goal. The goal is power.
to be in charge, mm-hmm. to win. And so they stay lockstep, squarely oriented toward the goal. And, and I like how you say that. It is the goal. And we have to understand what the goal is. Mm-hmm. What is it? Guys, we are in a fight right now for the heart of this country. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that to be just out there. I'm saying that because I really believe it. I, I'm a social observer. You know, my, my background, many of you know, one of my degrees is in political science. And I've been following this pretty closely my entire life and, and study history just like Gina does. Um, th- this is, folks, the, the alarm has sounded. This is pretty serious stuff. This is pretty serious stuff. Every generation, if you think about it, has had their thing, whether it was the Civil War, whether it was, Depre- well, the Depression rolled into the Second World War, and that was, it kind of bled all together. Then you had Vietnam, then you had women's rights movements, you had the civil rights movement, you had all these things. This is the issue of our time. And if we're not careful, if we are not careful, we may lose this whole thing if we don't get a handle on it. Mm-hmm. And that now the, the the next this election next year's midterms and then the presidential presidential election this is the time to keep the the eye on the prize right and Republicans are I I know a lot of over the years I've known a lot of Republicans that are like yeah I'm a Republican but that person there um, I don't agree with everything that they say the, the big one used to be because I lived in Texas for a long time um, they're they're say a candidate was not as anti-abortion as they were, you know, because that was the Bible Belt down there. And by the way, I'm, I'm anti-abortion. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I'm a political realist too. Mm-hmm. And I know that that American elections, for the most part, like your election, it's binary. It's mm-hmm. you or your, your opponent. That's it. Right. Okay. It's one or the other. Yep. And we have to collectively say this person is better or significantly less bad than that person, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, but I don't like that person stand on this issue, whether it's abortion or any. So we tend to be single-issue voters. Right. Okay, well, now I'm not going to vote for so-and-so because I don't agree with... Th- my pet issue is this, and they and I don't like their position on it, so I'm just going to ignore every other... When you get into the House of Delegates, you got a ton of issues you're dealing with, not mm-hmm. just one. Mm-hmm. So maybe you don't like the one. Yeah, but here's the deal. I don't like anything... They stand for. I might not agree with. I might not agree with you on one or two things, mm-hmm. but I don't agree with anything they do. Right, folks. Eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. These people have to go. If you're upset with what they're doing to your children or your neighbor's children, then you got to vote. Have you thought about what this nation is going to look like twenty years from now? Have you thought about it? They're raising your kids. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff I hear coming out of the mouths of kids today, I think, oh my God, what are they going to be like when they're my age? Yeah. You know, you don't have to rip up the Constitution, right? That would make a lot of people angry if you said, Mm -hmm. oh, to hell with the Constitution. We're not following that anymore. Um, You'd make many people upset. Many of those same people have guns. Um, (laughs) The other approach is to just raise a generation that doesn't believe in the constitution then it's dead in the water and it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. it's pretty clever it's pretty clever what they're doing it's a long-term approach that is what and it's from the bottom up republicans another issue that we have is we tend to think from the top down 
So there's a lot of Republicans that say, oh, if we could just get Trump back in office. Oh, I hope he runs in 24. He's going to win. He'll take back the presidency. And yeah, it would be great to have Trump instead of Biden. But you have to remember, Trump is one man at the top. And there's only so much that that one man can do. At the bottom, you've got thousands of school boards. You've got thousands of county supervisors. You've got thousands of delegates, right? I mean, you. I'm talking about nationwide. So they have taken the long-term approach of working from the bottom up. You can raise a generation that no longer believes in American principles, the Constitution. You know, the National Archives just uh, put a warning label on the Constitution, that there are some trigger areas in it. Uh, yes. What? Yes. Yes, that, for instance, like when a it... Surgeon General's warning <laughs> on the Constitution? Look it up. Oh, my God. I believe yes. it. I'm just... Yes. Oh, my goodness, folks. Because there are some sections in there, for instance, whenever they talk about um, counting the slave population of southern states as three-fifths instead of a full 100%. Yeah, well, who pushed for that? Oh, I believe it was those Democrats. Yes, it was, folks. Go, yeah, that's your history lesson for the day. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, By the way, uh, who put an end to all that stuff? I believe it was the Republicans. Uh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we and forget that. Well, and a lot of folks were never taught it. So we, yeah. we suffer from, uh, like I said before, voter ignorance. And that's not just about who's on the ballot. Who is Sally Smith and John, you know, Reynolds, whatever. It is ignorance about the history of our country, the political history, the military history, the social history of our nation. If people understood history better in a, in a broader and more truthful context, then they would see and understand more clearly what an exceptional country mm-hmm. we live in. Right. They would understand that freedom is the exception, not the norm. Mm-hmm. That peace and comfort, like we have here in the homeland, is the exception, not the norm. They would understand that it took thousands of years of political thought in Western civilization to finally get up to the point where in 1776, Jefferson would make the bold and audacious claims in the Declaration of Independence, such as all men are created equal. That was an incredible statement for their time. Mm -hmm. It was unprecedented that anyone would ever officially state something as revolutionary as that was, because in the history of the world, uh, in no way did they think that all men were created equal. Not at all. That's why there was different strata of society. Yeah, and That's you why you had the aristocracy. That's why you had, you know, titles of, you know, lord and uh, lady and king and queen. I mean, people just don't understand how far we have come and what a treasure we have here in America. Instead, because of their ignorance, they treat it as a cheap trinket that can be tossed away. And that's um, it's it shows a, a real failing on the part of education here in our country. It does. And I really like how you put that. 
And as a pseudo historian, I, I always get frustrated when we put our standards, today's standards on people in historical figures, mm -hmm. right? Uh, when, when we look at history, we have to look at history through the lens of the people at the time. Right. So you hear, uh, and, I'm, and I'm sure critical race theory and all these, these different things are being pushed in our school systems um, are pushing the idea that, well, you know, Jefferson had slaves, Washington had slaves, all these people had slaves. Okay, folks, you have to look at, take what Gina just said and look at history through the lens of the people at the time and not where we are now. The that's the way the world was at the mm -hmm. time. It was that's the way the system was. The system was already in existence. You know, slavery wasn't created in the United States. It was brought here. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's just the way that the, the world system was. And we can't understand um what a big move it was to have these individuals say, but we're now gonna move in a different direction and we want freedom. All men are created equal, all those types of in 2021, it's hard to imagine that there was a time when people didn't believe that, mm -hmm. but they didn't back in those days. And you had these group of men that said, and they were doing a lot of things at one time. They were making these statements. By the way, they were saying, and we're going to break off from the King of England, sure. which which was treason, which by the way, they, they were signing their own death warrants mm -hmm. by doing what they were doing, and we're going to move forward. And these things do not change overnight. These systems, slavery didn't go away overnight. In fact, it wasn't until much later in the Civil War, as we know, where Abraham Lincoln uh, even went, went even further. And then his critics say, but he didn't go far enough, fast enough. Well, hold on. Yeah. But again, it was a society. But, but Lincoln, if you understand the Civil War, he couldn't move faster because at the time— Political policies at that time were being pushed through military force. Well, the Union Army wasn't winning any battles for a long period of time. Right. So the man was doing what he was doing, and he was as creative as he as he could be uh, with the ability that he had. And, and that was one of his dictates. Remember, the Union Army went through nine different generals mm -hmm. back and forth. McClellan was in there a few times. But it, he finally just said to U.S. Grant, when Grant took over, he said, you need to start winning this. Yeah. I need victories on the battlefield. And, and he, because he knew that he wanted to free the slaves, but he couldn't until they started winning. Right. And you know, a lot of people didn't realize don't realize either that Abraham actually Abraham Lincoln actually approached Robert E. Lee first he did. to head up the Union Army. So People love to cast Lee in such a negative light, but I think when they do that, they don't really understand who the man was. You know, when we look at the phrase, all men are created equal, for them, for Jefferson to write that in his time, we're not even, let's not even put a, a, a racial cast on that statement. I can promise you, Marie Antoinette did not consider the peasants of France equal with her by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so it wasn't a, a racial thing. It was just in Anglo-Saxon, Western European culture, people did not hold fast to the idea that we were all created equal, that all men are created equal, um, that each person has equal value and should receive equal treatment under the law. They did not ascribe to mm -hmm. that. And then when you look at slavery, when you look at the facts of slavery, let me cast it in a different frame. The Western, West African slave trade had been going on for a long time before 
Jamestown was even settled before 1619 when the first Africans arrived. In the mid-1400s, the Portuguese finally were able to start sailing further and further south down the West African coast. And what did they find there? They were, they were there to trade. They wanted to make money. And um, they found many things to trade, gold and salt and ivory and slaves, okay? Now, those slaves, those West African slaves had already been trading their conquered people with the Arabs from the East for hundreds of years. Nobody knew there was anything out West in the mid-1400s. They didn't know that there was two giant continents out there on the other side of the Atlantic. But eventually, they discovered that there was. And then a huge economic opportunity opened up with slavery, because now you have all this pristine, raw land that can now be transformed into profitable plantations um, where crops and other things can be grown and traded. And so there was an economic opportunity and slavery moved across the Atlantic to North America and South America. And the money always drives these things. Always look at the money trail, and it explains Mm -hmm. so many things. So whenever 1619, when the first Africans arrived in Jamestown, slavery was a well-established enterprise. It had been for almost 200 years at that point. Americans did not invent slavery. (laughs) And so many folks think Mm -hmm. that we did, but we didn't. We, the people who purchased those Africans. And at the time, we don't even know if they were treated as slaves. We cannot say that definitively because slave records were not even kept until the 1640s. Okay, they may have been treated more like indentured servants. There's no way to know. But those folks were just participating in something that was normative for their day. I'm not saying that it was right, I am saying it, the way it was done then. It was yes, how yeah. things were done. Okay. And we have now fast forward to the Civil War. And most people will think that, oh, the Civil War was fought to end slavery. No, it was not. That was not the pressing issue that led up to war. It was really more about the expansion of slavery into new Western territories that had just opened up from the Mexican War and some of the purchases that we had made um, out West. Now we have all this land. And of course, Southern Democrats want to move slavery further and further West. Why? For economic opportunity. That's why. It's money. And also power. Because as these states are opening up, are they going to be slave states or free states? This affects the balance of power in Congress. And mm-hmm. so it the, the war was really initially fought because there was a conflict over the expansion of slavery to the West and how that affected the power in D.C. And also there was the issue of uh, states' rights and Mm-hmm. The southern states did have some legitimate reasons for feeling that their own sovereignty was being encroached upon by the federal government. We can talk about whether those were legitimate or not, but they felt it nonetheless. And people also forget today that at that time, people identified themselves 
is a mem- member of a state. Yes. They, they really didn't really, like, if, they, if this was, you know, in the mid-1700s or even early 1800s, you and I would identify as Virginians, mm-hmm. not Americans necessarily, right. Virginians. Exactly. Right? And I think we forget that there's been a shift in how people identify today. That's true. And, you yeah. know, oftentimes when people ask me, well, where are you from? Oh, I'm from North Carolina. Oh, really? What part? Where? And I always reply with Onslow County. That's where I grew up. And and I've had several people tell me, you know, people in North Carolina always tell you what county they're from. But back then, that's that would have been how somebody would have identified, you know, where they were from by their state or, you know, be more specific, their county. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so when Lincoln saw an opportunity to abolish slavery, he took advantage of that and and ended it. Um, but when the war first started, that was not the end state. Mm-hmm. And so there is just such an ignorance of our own history. And when we look at the facts, we see that America ended the African slave trade that had been going on for centuries. That's right. We abolished it. We stopped it. Now that is a whole different framing, and it's all based on facts and truth, than what is being pushed on us today and our students through our school system, where America, you know, America's history began in 1619. No, those were not Americans that purchased the Africans off that ship. They were British. Mm-hmm. They were not Americans. America began in 1776. That's right. So I I get frustrated when people play that card or when people say America's original sin was slavery. Oh, well, you know, I'm not convinced of that because America didn't begin until 1776. And you know what? We ended slavery. And another thing, too, what about the slavery that's going on in our world and in our nation today? No one talks about human trafficking. No one talks about the sex slavery that's going on in America today, that America is one of the biggest consumers of it. We could be doing something about the slavery that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. But instead, we choose to argue about a past that no one can change. And it's extremely frustrating. Um, And it keeps us... From the arguing over the past that is done and settled keeps us from being the hope, the change, the goodness that we could be today. Because right. if, if we wanted to, we could put a stop to the slavery that's going on in America today. If we really wanted to, if our politicians were invested in that, we could stop it just like we stopped the slavery 150 years ago. But instead, we choose not to. You know, that's a very good point. And many of the listeners of this podcast, and, and Gina, I, I think I may have mentioned this to you, but I do a tremendous amount of work in the recovery world for drug and alcohol addiction and mental health issues, things like that. And that's a very common theme that we have with people that are, are coming into um, uh, treatment centers. You know, I, I'm doing some work at a treatment center right now. And that's one of the conver- common conversations we have with people. So let's just boil it down to your life. If you come to me and you have, let's say, an alcohol problem, 
we and you you start beating yourself up over why did this and I did that and I and I should have died. I wasn't there for my kids. I wasn't there for my my spouse. Whatever the case may be. One of the things that we talk about with them is you cannot change your past. There is nothing that you can do to change your past. And the fact is, we really don't even know if we're going to be here tomorrow. I mean, mm-hmm. I have no guarantees that I'll even be alive at eight o'clock tonight. I don't. None know of that. us do. None of us know it, right? Yep. Don't know. So what we say is, don't worry about it. Now you want to. I'm not saying don't plan for the future. We you have to be responsible, and we we got. Imp- what I'm saying is, you don't obsess over it because you don't you don't want anxiety over that. But the the thing I do know is, there's nothing you can do about what you did last week. In fact, there's nothing you can do from you know an hour ago. Mm-hmm. But when you put that into the national level, we do that, don't we? Mm-hmm. We are obsessing over things that that happened that you is raise your hand if you were alive. In 1776 or 1619, right? Do do you understand when you watch, when you watch, or when you look at pictures of the Civil War, since we were talking about, or World War One, you know, look at those pictures and understand every single person you're looking at is dead. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them. Yep. And there is nothing that we can do. None of us were there. Uh, None of us were there. There was nothing we can do about what any of our ancestors did. And for the record, my ancestors actually fought for the North and fought in help defeat the South. But anyway, that's another story for another day. The fact is we cannot change it. The only thing that we have control over, since we don't have control of the past, and I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow, the only thing I can control is what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. And you raised a very good point that I don't hear people talk about is stop talking about slavery from decades or centuries, a couple of centuries ago. Let's talk about what's going on right now because you raised a very good point. Folks, you, you people that live in Virginia, you know there's people that are working in the sex trade and are not free right now as we speak there are people in this state that are not free to go about their business absolutely and especially right along now, this i-95 corridor so don't talk it's to hot. me about the 1850s 1860s it is happening right now by the way what the hell do you think happened to all those people that we left over in afghanistan do you have any clue what's going on to those people For all you uh the women's rights activists and all the people that get so concerned here in the united states about what's going on have you asked yourself what is happening to the women that we left behind in afghanistan i can do a whole show on what's happening to them right now if if you want to hear it i don't think you want to hear about it but yet we're concerned about what happened centuries ago sure and we blame the people centuries ago americans who allowed slavery to happen but we don't look at ourselves and say my apathy is allowing the sex trade sex slavery to happen right now in my own backyard in my Mm -hmm. own county the truth of the matter is most folks don't care so it's really difficult then for, for we seem hypocritical when we look back two centuries, three centuries, and we point and wag our fingers at those people back then and say, well, they didn't care about slavery. They were bad people. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like like the saying goes, you know, look at yourself in the mirror first. Mm-hmm. You know, when, mm-hmm. you, when you point your finger, there's a few of them pointing back at you. And if we focused more on that, but like I said, there's not the will to change it. There just isn't. Mm -mm. And I would say a lot of that probably has to do with the people in power who could do something about it are probably the Johns that are utilizing the service. Could be. But the power is in the vote. 
Yep. And if there was going to be an election that you were going to participate in, it is this one, folks. Get out and vote. So I'll, get, I'll leave you with the final word. And okay. I really enjoyed, we got a little more feisty this time, didn't yes, we? Yes, we but did. We have a lot, but you know what? A lot has happened between now and the last time we talked. A lot has happened. You know what? Because I think that this administration and this governor and this state legislature is so much worse than I expected. I expected it to be bad. Mm-hmm. I really expected it to be bad. They have far surpassed my expectations. Absolutely. And I think you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, none of us. I would have. I thought it would have taken about four years to get this bad. But I, I actually, I, I didn't even think that Joe Biden had all this in him that much energy. It really takes a lot of energy to be this bad. Maybe that's why he's so tired all the time. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, or maybe because he's almost eighty years old and you know really struggling, and it's wow. apparent to all Americans that well, that's he the seems case. To be pretty good at destroying things. <laughs> Everything he touches, everything he touches. So, you know, I would say if you're upset, like many Americans are, um, I'll just relate my own experience. I was angry and uh, frustrated and felt helpless and extremely concerned about what my country and my state would look like for my five children. And so I thought to myself, well, you can keep reading the news headlines and and the articles and get, because uh, I do not watch, I don't watch the news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I advise most people not to watch it. It's extremely uh, disheartening and frustrating. But, but Unless I would, you're in it, then it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, unless yeah. I'm in it. Uh, but I would, you know, read the news articles and just, just walk away just so upset. And I thought, well, you have two options here. You can keep being upset worry, wring your hands over it, think about how horrible it's going to be when your kids are grown, or you can try and be a force for change. You can take action. Mm -hmm. You can run for local office. And the opportunity did present itself uh, for me to run for delegate. And so I took it and I decided to run. And it is, uh, It is very challenging being a candidate, particularly in a Northern Virginia election. Uh, You would not believe how much money it takes to run an effective and competitive campaign. There is so much to do. Uh, We are working so hard, and we're on the home stretch now. We've got about five weeks, so it's like we can see the finish line. It's in sight. And so this is a big push there toward that uh, finish line on November 2nd when the polls close. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would just say, you know, make a decision. If you don't like what's happening, then do something about it. Because our country was really formed and intended to have citizen involvement. When the founders laid out our system of government, they expected and anticipated that the people would be involved. Our Constitution starts off with we the people, not we the couch potatoes or we the people who are too distracted or we the people who are too busy. No, we the people, we are doing this in order to obtain these goals, right? So we have to once again be we the people, which means we have to be actively involved in our government, whether that's going to your school board meeting, and I encourage you, go to the school board meetings, mm-hmm. whether you're at your 
you know, board of supervisor meetings, which usually there's nobody at those board of supervisor meetings. There are now. <laughs> there are now. But traditionally, they there yeah. hasn't been, right? So they, they have no one really to check them. Um Go to your local uh, meetings, participate in elections, find a candidate that you can get behind and help her or him out because they do need so much help. I think we we grossly underestimate how much help a candidate needs. We're like, oh, she's got it. Uh, No, she needs you. He needs you. Get behind them. So that that's what I would say. You just get involved because Politics is, you know, it, it's a contact sport. <laughs> it's, it is. It's, it's getting sport. there. It's a blood sport. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You know, is. I really yeah. like the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson. He said something that I think is great. He said, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't do politics. Well, then politics will do you. I love that. Yes. Yeah. It's so true. If you don't do politics, fine. Then politics will do you. So you have to think about, you know, are you okay with that? If you're not, you better get involved. So for us um, running our campaign in District 2 for House of Delegates here in Virginia, GinaForVirginia.com is our website. And you can go in there, see how I stand on the issues, look at the endorsements, Um We need folks to volunteer, to put up signs. We need people to donate to our campaign. We're getting ready to do our very first mailer that we're sending out into every mailbox in the district. Um, It's incredible how much those mail pieces cost to produce and then to send through the mail. A lot of people are blown away by the the actual cost, but for me to do a district-wide mailer... The postage alone, just the postage, not the cost of producing the mailer, the postage is $13,000. That's just for one mailer. Wow. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we need folks to get behind us, to donate, to get involved. Go to GinaForVirginia.com. You can donate easily and securely on the website. Um, And it's, like I said, this is a sport that you have to participate in. If you want to preserve our freedoms and our individual liberties for your children and your grandchildren, think about them. And hopefully that will motivate you to, to do that, to get involved. Wow. Wow. You didn't know what you were getting into, did you? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) No. But, you know, I think we talked about this last time. I have Theodore Roosevelt's uh, Man of the Ring. Mm -hmm. uh, I know. Poem over there. And and it's so true. I I have such admiration for you and all that you're doing and all the candidates that have come on to this podcast because not only is politics, uh, and those of you that have never been involved in politics, it really is. It's a blood sport. Mm -hmm. It, It really is. And. You always hear people say, look, I don't do politics. Like you mentioned, I don't do politics because it doesn't affect me. You got to be kidding me. Yeah. Everything these people do affects you. Yes, it does. Everything. Especially on the local level. It affects you the most, but everybody gets focused on what's happening in D.C. No, you need to be paying attention to your school board and your county board of supervisors. Um, So, yeah, we, we need good Americans to get behind us. Being a candidate is not a one-man show. There's no way 
one single candidate can pull off a successful campaign. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely a team sport. And um, we really appreciate folks. I have one fellow, George. George just loves to put up signs. Big, the big ones that require some digging and a real significant effort to put them up. George is a huge blessing to me because that man has put up signs all over the place. And I appreciate that so much. If I have a guy who's thrilled about signs, man, you go put up signs. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, complicated stuff. If you want to just drive around and pass out yard signs to people who are requesting a yard sign, a candidate would love for you to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, everybody, and I talked about that with Bob Wood from American Veterans Vote, and that's one of the things that we talked about, that everybody has their thing that they do, mm-hmm. and they can do it well, and, and it's all necessary. You know, in my own little way, this podcast is, you know, how I contribute, but that's not for everybody. You, you no matter what you do, it's valuable and it's necessary to get these people involved and we've we've got to to get folks involved in this campaign because we have to win but so gina thank you for coming on the program you're welcome and so and again it's gina uh gina for virginia.com gina crca and really are there are there any other ways that people can get hold of you any websites or you're you're on facebook i know you're on facebook yes yeah so i am on facebook yeah. twitter gina crca i am on instagram um, you can also contact me through the website. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a way that you can just uh, send a contact, and I do get that. I receive that in my email inbox, and I mm-hmm. do respond. Yeah, I actually call people and talk to them. You respond to me. Yes, I did. I, I think I've gotten emails from you at like 2 a.m. Yes, and probably. I, I was the only one that was up at 2 a.m. No, Gina's no. up too. <laughs> Definitely up at 2 a.m. Which means she'll be working for you. And guys, so please reach out to her. Support her campaign as you can. By the way, I just want to throw in one little plug. Uh, I did mention American Veterans Vote and, um, you know, get hold of them as well uh, at info at AmericanVeteransVote.com and then um, AmericanVeteransVote.com uh, is the website. AmericanVeteransVote.com, website, email, info at AmericanVeteransVote.com. And again, Gina CRC is GinaForVirginia.com. And is that spelled out, um, the four, or is that number four? It's F-O-R. F-O-R. Yeah. And Gina is G-I-N-A. Okay. So GinaForVirginia.com. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, you're that welcome. Is, I am so impressed with her. I really am. And my friend uh, Frank Runnels, who does uh, Lies People Tell, his his own podcast, Gina was on his podcast. And if you've not che- heard that, check it out. Frank called me up after that podcast, and he said, I love this lady. She is awesome. She really is, folks. Uh, really excited for her. Hope to see you in the House of Delegates. Yes. And uh, we're just keeping... I'm, I'm getting excited about this, guys. Good. I really am. I'm getting really excited about this, and I hope you are too. But get out there. No sitting around. You got to get out and, and participate. Do all that you can. Five weeks left, approximately mm-hmm. five weeks left, uh, you know, in this fall voting season. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. But... Once again, folks, this is Mark Vines. Thanks for uh, listening in on the Mark Vines Show. We are on Facebook. We are on Parlor. We are on uh, Instagram. Where else are we? Oh, Rumble. Yes. Wonderful. But we are still on the dreaded Twitter and Facebook. Yes. We're even there for now. So with that, folks, we'll be talking with you soon. Take care.